Welcome to the CodeCast Podcast. Real-world insights for your daily medical coding and billing processes. And now, here's your host, Terry Fletcher. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the CodeCast Podcast today. My name is Terry Fletcher. Today is episode 287, and we are now just on the brink of getting to 500,000 downloads and listens. So thank you to all my listeners and everyone who's given me a lot of comments lately to respond to. I appreciate that. Yeah, my last look here, it says we we're at 496,146. So can't wait to get to 500,000. And like I said, I'm going to do something to uh, celebrate that. I'm not sure what it is yet, but hopefully you'll appreciate the the celebration. So a couple of things I just wanted to comment on today and, and actually talk about. I know that there's been a lot of questions that have come in for me on reporting add-on codes without having a base code. I don't know if any of you have had to deal with that. And it's tough because bottom line is you have to have a base code to report an add-on code. I've actually had um, a way to be a little creative when reporting it, but it doesn't always work, but I'll still give you kind of what I call my tricks of the trade um, to be able to at least try to submit it if your physician truly feels that this is something that should be paid for even though you don't have a base code. And it's very hit or miss, so I won't say it's going to work every single time, but I have, have had payers that it has worked with. So one of the things that it comes up quite a bit is in since my, one of my specialties is cardiology is when a provider let's say does um, a carotid imaging in the external carotid which means first you've got cervical so neck carotids and they call them commons and then you've got the internals which now you're getting into the the kind of the head area then you get into the externals which now you're focusing on the the brain the outer uh, outer cerebral area well the external carotid imaging is only an add-on code to a base code of a carotid in that territory and that makes it a little bit tough because if you didn't provide the um, the other services, you know, so a, a cervical carotid or an internal carotid, it makes it very hard to figure out, well, how do we code for these services? Because I'm trying to get paid, let's say, for an external carotid image, an injection is really what it is, and that's the code add-on 36227, but I don't have a base code, which would be either a 36222 or 36223 to be able to provide that service. And so one of the things that I have tried over the years, and these codes are actually fairly new, within the last, I think, six or seven years, what I've tried is I will, it's a paper claim. There's no way to do it electronically. And so you might have to take a little bit of an expense there because I know some of the payers are charging for paper claims. But I will actually list the base code with a zero charge or a one cent charge just so it goes through and doesn't get tagged. And it's easier to do when it's paper claim. When you try to send, you can't send anything zero charge, and that's why I send it to paper through electronic means. It just doesn't go through. And then I'll put on the add-on code, which would be, in, again, in this case, the 36227, with what the, the standard um, payment, or I should say, uh, billing charges for that. And I would say probably 50% of the time, especially with an explanation, we actually get paid. So that's just something to consider. I know that uh, somebody had a couple of different, you know, things that they were trying to get through. Uh, one of my, my clients on the East Coast, um, there's some of the new codes for pulmonary 
selective pulmonary injections during a cath procedure, but they didn't do a cath procedure. They actually did a thrombectomy. How do you code that? Since you can't code those add-ons with procedures, you can only code them with the cath. You just can't. Sometimes it's inherent to the procedure. And so be, be aware of that. I know that comes up a lot of times uh, with the questions. Also, when it comes to add-on codes, know when it's appropriate for an add-on code and when you should be going back to a base code. So sticking just with the, the cardiology specialty, and actually this would be considered cardiovascular, so the lower extremities, peripheral vascular. I was recently doing some coding for a, a client, and they were coding out lower extremity vascularization, so stents, angioplasties, and atherectomies. And they had an atherectomy in the uh, anterior tib, which is a below the knee vessel, and they had an angioplasty in the posterior tib. Well, if you actually look in your CPT book, that those codes starting at 37228, those codes say each additional vessel is an add-on code. And I was seeing someone trying to code for two base codes because there are two separate vessels. But when you get into the lower extremities, you're talking about territories. So you've got the iliac territories, the uh, fempop, which is anything that has the word femoral or popliteal in it. So, you know, superficial femoral artery, popliteal artery, you know, anything that has a common femoral, um, that would be that territory. And that's all inclusive. And then you have the below the knee territories, which would be anterior tib, posterior tib, and perineal. And so it even says specifically that is an additional vessel and you would use add-on codes. So let's say that you did a stent in the uh, anterior tib tibial artery and then you did a, an angioplasty, let's say, uh, in the perineal. Well, then how would you report that based on the, the coding guidelines for that? Well, if you did a stent, which also includes angioplasty, you would be at 37230. And then if you did an additional angioplasty on a separate vessel, but in that territory, so let's say the perineal, it'd be 37232. So I was seeing the coder trying to report um, 37228 for that additional, and you can't get that money because it's very specific within um, those rules. Always read your rules right before the codes because sometimes that will answer your question right away. Um, one of the other things that came up with, with add-on codes recently is that, remember, add-on codes are not bilateral. So when, when you're trying to code for services, you have to be very careful with um, trying to pick up that, that bilateral, um, I guess, I don't want to say bilateral code, but when you're trying to pick up that extra service, one of the things that we code for quite a bit in cardiology, especially again in peripheral vascular, is something called an IVIS, and that's an intervascular ultrasound. So these are coded based on per vessel evaluated, and they are also add-on codes. And so considerations when you're coding for that is, first of all, it can't be uh, something that is incidental too. So you're basically just identifying the vessel. No, you actually have to reflect that it is a diagnostic evaluation and it's during a diagnostic either cath or a therapeutic intervention where you're trying to um, figure out is you know what is the percentage of stenosis in that area that you're trying to treat or what they call revascularize. And what that basically is, is you're trying to get blood to flow through um, your legs, your lower extremities, and sometimes that intravascular ultrasound, ultrasound can help. But I've seen people try to code that add-on code, and it only applies to services performed by the same physician on the base code. So that's a really big deal. 
you know, you've got a plus sign on a code, which is the symbol that precedes a code that indicates that it is an add-on code. And you're trying to get that paid for maybe a doctor who came in to the procedure and you can't do that because add-on codes are always performed in addition to the primary service and the add-on concept in CPT applies only to add-on procedures or services performed by the same physician who reported the base code. And so that's tough. Also with add-on codes, you can't use bilateral modifier 50. So again, we're, we're looking at CPT language. We're looking at directions and always uh, look at what also can be coded with certain services because when there are parenthetical uh, parentheses underneath the code, that's parenthetical guidance. It'll tell you when you can and can't code for it. A perfect example, uh, CPT instructions preceding the codes 37252 and 253 says you can't code it with an insertion of an IVC filter. Um, 37191. And then it also says that um, what you have to additionally look at is possibly was this um, incidental. So they're assigned per vessel, you know, and one IVIS code can be assigned per vessel evaluated, but you also need to know what you're treating and what the evaluative um, quality is, evaluative service for that uh, that uh, ultrasound is. So it's, it's tough sometimes when we look at those add-on codes. I see it sometimes in orthopedic. I see it sometimes in injection procedures. And unless you have a base code, it's really tough to go back and try to code for those add-on codes. So make sure your physicians are aware of that. And that's why I bring that up because this has been kind of an ongoing conversation that's being brought back up over the last, I would say, couple of months. And I wanted to bring it to your attention. So a couple other questions. I wanted to shout out a few people. I appreciate you asking these questions. And again, I'm happy to respond to a question on a podcast and hopefully it'll help not just to educate, but to give some insight to those of you that are listening and maybe thought, oh, you know, I've had that question before. But please, if you have any follow-up questions, please go to my website at terryfletcher.net and join our Coding Corner service. We've had a lot of members join lately on the executive membership, getting free webinars and services, and the Ask Me Anything quarterly, where I come in and we basically do a Zoom call together, and you can ask whatever question you want. We have an hour every quarter, um, but you get unlimited coding questions for the year. And so you get there's a regular membership, which is just questions, and there's executive membership, which includes some free webinars and the Ask Me Anything. So take a look at that, because I think you, you'd actually enjoy some of the services there. But here's one. I'm going to shout out uh, DJ. Thank you for this question. So talking about some of the podcasts that you, you've been listening to the podcast and you have a question on ICD-10 services. So the physician a lot of times will put in a problem list for the patient in the EMR and you had a fellow coder that you were just having a, not a debate, but a discussion on what is correct. Can you actually pull and code ICD-10 services um, or ICD-10 codes, I should say, from this problem list. Well, prior to 2021, I would say kind of, you know, they, the, the payers and Medicare in particular preferred if the physician was the one giving you the codes, but if it existed in the chart, then you're allowed to code it. What you can't code for is now from 2021 and beyond and, you know, moving forward in 2023 new codes is that we have something called problems addressed and that's in the medical decision making. And so even though there's codes listed uh, in the EMR, 
It's really part of the history. You want to know what's current today and what's addressed today. So, and re remember, if you're coding for risk adjustment, I'm tongue-tied today, sorry about that. Um, you can't code for things that are just been sitting there. And a lot of times I'm seeing in EMR, um, EMRs that in the health electronic health record, I'm seeing certain conditions where the patient hasn't been treated for months for that. And the physician is trying to pull that in or the coder is trying to pull that code in because it's sitting in their chart and it hasn't been retired or it hasn't um, been listed as resolved or there's no status of that particular problem. But you can tell in the note that it hasn't even been addressed. So I would frown on that and you really shouldn't be pulling from services that are just listed. It has to be services that are addressed um, and you cannot pull that for risk adjustment because those are active, current, treated um, codes or treated conditions today. And so that's why they did that. They remember, we always had the, you know, um, how many problems were you looking at today in the ENM guidelines? But when they added the word addressed, that was the biggest thing. What are you doing today? Not just what are, what are you kind of monitoring in the back of your mind and, you know, kind of through your peripheral vision, what is it today that you're actually looking at? So um, that was a good question. I actually really appreciated that question. Another question that has come up, and I'm actually going to go into it a little bit further um, on the Compliance Guide podcast with Sean Weiss. Next week, we're going to talk, actually, I think it's going to drop today. Um, we're going to talk about um, what's going on with what they call retail clinics that are usually placed inside like a CVS pharmacy or um, something like that, um, or in a retail center versus um, an urgent care clinic. And I've had some questions come up and thank you to one of my um, membership clients, Arlene, about this, because I'm seeing, in the, and not just, not just Ar Ar you, Arlene, but there's been other people that have kind of brought this to my attention and some of my bigger clients that have urgent cares tied to them. They're asking the question that, well, how can I bill services incident to? And I'm like, okay, let's back the train up a little bit. First of all, urgent care centers, what do you usually see? Urgent patients who don't want to go to the ER. So that's the first thing. So you, if you're going to see patients and they're usually being seen not by a physician, there is there has to be a physician that's accessible or there at least twice a week um, or accessible when they're not there at least two times a week, depending on your state. In California, it's at least twice a week. Um, but they're seeing new problems right away that you can't even talk about incident to. Um, and if they don't, if there's no physician in the clinic, so it's one of those days where there's no physician there, you can't, you can't talk about incident too. So those are direct bills, meaning direct bill under the nurse practitioner PA's UPIN number. Same thing if it is an established patient who seems to want to just treat the, e, the um, urgent care as their primary care center. They don't go to the doctor, but unless they're, you know, having a major problem, it doesn't matter if they're established and you only call the doctor on the phone. You can't bill incident two that way. So you still have to follow the rules uh, regardless of what kind of entity you are. Then we get into retail care. Retail care is very similar to urgent care, but it's more preventative. It's more for, I call it first aid. You know, um, you need more than just a Band-Aid for, a, you know, a splinter that's embedded to get out. Um, usually those centers can't do uh, x-rays like they can at urgent care, um, but a lot of preventive, a lot of vaccine management, a lot of things like that. And they usually put them now into um, places that are very similar to pharmacies, but they're usually run by mid-level providers. So that's just direct bill anyway. Somebody said, well, can't we bill um, incident to the pharmacist? 
And after my head exploded and I spun around (laughs) and there was fire coming out of me, I'm like, no, 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 (laughs) you cannot because um, pharmacist does not, they do not have part B um, services under their licensure. Remember, they were giving a re- given a reprieve under the public health emergency only for a nurse visit under a physician supervision uh, to give counseling for the COVID test. That was it. So no, you can't use a, a pharmacist. They're not considered an MD or DO. So make sure you're, you're not falling into that trap. Another thing that has come up recently, and I know this is kind of a mixed bag today, but I just thought I'd put some things out there, is a question came up actually in an organization that I belong to and a CHBC. And I thought this was an interesting question. And it just takes me back to making sure that everyone reads the guidelines prior to the codes before you just read the code descriptor. I think that's where a lot of people have got into trouble with a lot of behavioral health services, a lot of chronic care management services, where they're reading the code descriptor, but they're not reading the details and the directions on how to use the codes. It's kind of like, you know, pulling out your your maps and, you know, before we had navigation in our car and not knowing how to read it or pulling out a map from Delaware when you're actually in Texas going, I'm lost. Okay, you, you have to read the notes and the directions prior to certain codes. And for you certified coders out there, you know that. And for those of you that are trying to be certified, um, just be aware of that. You have to read the surrounding notations and directions. But one thing came up were for codes that were starting in the 99401 to I think 99406 codes. And these four are for certain counseling services under behavioral health. The first thing it says under those services is that these codes are for practitioners or providers, physicians or qualified healthcare professionals who can bill directly or independently to um, the payer. Right there, you you should know that nobody else can bill for those. Well, the question had come up, can health coaches, again, my my face plant is going on here, can they bill for those services incident to a physician? First of all, a health coach is, is like a medical assistant. They are not recognized, credentialed clinicians. Now, in some states, medical assistants have given been given some re- uh, recognition under there, but they're so limited. They have no medical decision-making um, properties under their certification. It's not even a licensure. If you have any kind of, you know, state mandate on that, it's it's actually not great right now. And so health coach, I don't like that term at all. Actually, I hate it. It's because it, it's, it kind of takes down what it is. And usually the, those kind of um, practitioners or providers, they are for holistic medicine. They're for concierge medicine. They're for cash practices where you have somebody that has some experience or been trained by a physician in the office for a few hours. Um, maybe they follow them even for you know a couple of months, but they don't have formal training in medicine. And so be very careful when you've got private equity firms and somebody calling you saying, look what you can do to get rich quick. Be careful with that because I'm starting to see that being the, the low hanging fruit on the OIG watch list for people trying to bill for services that absolutely are not insurance billable services. Now, if your practice wants to hire, again, I'm air quoting the health coach to help with some counseling, that would be a cash pay to a patient that they agree that that's something that they feel has, you know, monetary value. It's not something you can build in the insurance company. So remember the services that we, that we send out to the insurance company, the payer, it's it's something that a patient would be willing to pay, but they happen to have insurance. So if the patient is willing to pay for it from a cash perspective, then, or, you know, um, if you're doing some kind of a 
a monthly plan for them for these extra services that are really not medicine. They're more, again, kind of um, wellness services or lifestyle medicine, then that's fine. It's not, it, you know, you're not going to get sanctions on that because you can't bill it to insurance. But stay in the lane there. You have to stay in your lane when it comes to that lifestyle medicine. Otherwise, it's going to get the physician in a lot of trouble. So just just kind of be aware of that. That's come up for me lately. And it's it's a little bit frustrating only because I think that a lot of coders are trying to explain this to their physicians and they're having a, a little bit of trouble trying to get the concept through that that's not insurance medical care. It's really more lifestyle medicine. The CodeCast podcast today is also brought to you by Gold Bond Ultimate Healing Lotion, skin therapy for your skin, Gold Bond Ultimate. So here's a personal tidbit that's kind of funny to me. <laughs> not funny. It's more frustrating funny than anything, but you know, you know, when you kind of think you're smarter than a fifth grader, yeah, I get some that way sometimes, but I thought, you know, let's just test the waters. So I went online, applied, applied for Jeopardy because my husband and I watch that. And I, you have to go through several tests before they even invite you to go in person. Passed the first one. I thought, oh, that's easy. Pa went through the second one, passed it, not as well, but I, I passed it. And then the third one, oh yeah, 18th century art history. Okay, kill me now. And then what was the other topic that I was like, I have no idea. I think it was geography in Eastern or Western Europe or something like that. And so I didn't get to my 65% that you had to have. Um, and so I'm thinking, okay, great. Not quite as smart as you think you are. And then I watch an episode where everybody gets everything wrong and they're, and they can't even get through the answers. So yeah, I was kicking some dirt the other night going, you've got to be kidding me. I could have absolutely been on there and, and answered 80% of these questions. So yeah, that kind of bugged me, but what are you going to do? So there's no jeopardy in my future. I tried it. I got as far as I could go. I actually got to, they call it like kind of a semifinal where you get to the interview process and then you have to take one more test. So I got close, but uh, no cigar on that one. But I don't know how some, some people are vetted here because I don't know if they just gave me the harder one. I'm not sure. I know I'm whining a little bit. Can't help it. All right, everyone, that's enough for me, but um, everyone have a great rest of your week and make it a great day. And thank you for listening to the CodeCast podcast. For more information on medical coding, billing, auditing, and compliance, including how to hire Terry, follow Terry on Twitter at TerryCoder1 or visit her website at www.terryfletcher.net. Podcast producer Joe Kuzma, music producer Assassin Music. <laughs>